Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz, editor-at-large for MMNM, and welcome to the MMNM podcast. Last week marked the one-year anniversary of the first patient diagnosed with COVID-19 in the U.S. That means it was about this time a year ago when we first started hearing about the importance of social distancing and mask wearing to limit the spread of the virus. But as we move into year two of living with this pandemic and cases are again surging, many of us are nevertheless struggling to maintain those basic non-pharmaceutical interventions. Sure, we've gotten used to wearing the mask every time we head out in public, but then we might find ourselves in a large crowd at the mall or have visitors over or go to a restaurant when things like that may have seemed anathema to us during the lockdown days of 2020. As it turns out, researchers have a name for this phenomenon, pandemic fatigue. And my special guest today was part of a team of researchers who quantified its most common aspects. The results have implications for healthcare marketers charged with designing messaging to impact these kinds of behaviors. Matthew Crane is a second year medical student at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He's an MD candidate for the class of 2023. Matthew, welcome to the MMNM podcast. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we'll get to the uh, interview with Matthew in a moment. First, uh, just a couple of housekeeping items, as we usually do on this podcast. MMNM Move Together, which is our five-day challenge highlighting the importance of tending to one's physical well-being, is coming up February 8th to the 12th. Uh, so show us how you're getting ready uh, by posting a shot of your workout to social media and logging those miles. MMNM Racial Equity Summit is coming up February 10th. A couple other awards programs that we have, the Pinnacle Awards, uh, are now open for nominations. The first deadline there is February 10. The Brand Film Awards are open for nominations as well. That deadline is coming up February 18. And finally, the MMNM Awards is open for nominations, and uh, that deadline is not until April 21. Okay, back to our interview with Matt. So first of all, Matt, um, anecdotal evidence of pandemic fatigue, which the World Health Organization defines as a lack of motivation to follow recommended COVID-19 protection behaviors, has probably been you know, reported and shared almost as long as physical distancing guidelines have been around to fight the spread of the disease. But you were part of a research team that quantified it. What made you want to look at this particular aspect of public health? This is a really important question, as, we're, as you're saying, that we head into the second year of the pandemic, that non-pharmaceutical interventions are clearly something that we're going to have to be dealing with for a long time. From my own perspective, as a medical student, not being actually in the hospital, I wanted to help how I could. And research is one of the best ways for us to get engaged with the COVID-19 response. I got actually involved with the WHO's SAGE Working Group on COVID-19 vaccines. So I've been involved since early in the pandemic, trying to understand how the disease is moving through different countries, uh, as well as through the United States. And, you know, this question itself, I was really spurred by my own experiences. Those of my family and friends and just social media. You notice that people are going out more. This is something that we're all feeling is that it's difficult. It's been a long time in this pandemic. And I think that all those anecdotal stories really need to be backed up by evidence so that we can inform policy and messaging. Right. Absolutely. The, the, um, the evidence helps underpin the messaging and uh, kind of drives drives it home at a time when people want to see proof. Yeah, exactly. I think that so far, so much of it has been anecdotal. And like you say, it really has been reported globally. I think most many countries, uh, certainly all regions, we've seen report this kind of fatigue, but actually putting different measures to it and trying to understand how it differs across behaviors. That's something that we haven't seen before. So let's talk about what you found. And the data, by the way, were published in the Journal of the American Medical Association last Friday, January 22. So this is you know, pr pretty fresh. Uh, for one thing, your data show that social distancing plummeted as the pandemic continued on in the U.S. 
by some 26% between April and late November. What other protective behaviors uh, showed large decreases? So the, the, the big plummet that you're discussing is, is kind of an index of different behaviors. So we broke that apart into 16 different behaviors, actually. And we do know that there are some really big differences between different behaviors, which makes sense. Some NPIs are easier to adhere to and some are much more difficult. Uh, for example, the two biggest decreases we saw were remaining in residence at all times, except for essential activities or exercise, and not having close contact with people who don't live with you. And those, the, you know, those are NPIs, but they're also some of the harder NPIs to maintain. If you think about essential workers, people who have to be within six feet for many of their job duties, sometimes it's just not possible for them to adhere. So even though we do see this pandemic fatigue, some of it is more reflective of you know, a personal tiredness to following public health advisories, and some of it might just be a result of society continuing to move on. But that said, we do see decreases in things like avoiding eating at restaurants and avoiding going out to bars or being in crowds of more than 10 people, which have a lot more individual latitude and which are much more designed to be personal choices compared to things that essential workers might be doing. Right. Yeah. So it's a mixture of those necessary breaches, if you will, of, of uh, protective behavior and personal choice coming into it as well. But basically, as you summed it up, protective behaviors having to do with leaving the house, being among crowds, having people over where you saw some of the, the biggest uh, decreases there. What does that suggest? All of these findings suggest in general that practicing protective behaviors sharply decreased uh, after that lockdown period, and then they've remained relatively stable but we do see differences among those behaviors. And that's something that's important to keep in mind that some may be slipping more than others. And that even if uh, the messaging from public health authorities can't necessarily regain, so to speak, progress in NPIs, that it could be more about risk mitigation and seeing which behaviors have broken more and where harm reduction strategies need to be applied to ensure that even if people are going to bars or restaurants, that they're doing so in as safe a way as possible. And I think that that really speaks towards the surveillance value of this kind of data. So if uh, it's happening, at least we can try to mitigate it. Um, on the other hand, as you said, mask wearing increased and you know people are still working from home, it seems like for the most part. Uh, so to what do you attribute the durability, if you will, of, of those kinds of NPIs? I think that's a great question. And I think it's something that really stands out in this data. And, and for us, I think that comes from two things. You know, For one, we did see that sharp pivot on public health messaging early on. There was that initial discouraging against masks, and then that was really sharp right around that April, May, where we start to see masks start to tick up in our data. And that messaging does take time to become ingrained in social behavior. So we did see that was a fairly steady increase for quite a few months there. For another, our data asks, have you done this in the last seven days? So it's asking if sometime in the last week, people wore a mask. And that number does increase, but it may be only because they were required to due to a grocery store, due to going into other indoor businesses or places that might have required them to. Um, so I think that breaking down mask adherence better and understanding if people are wearing, wearing masks correctly, if they're doing it all the times that they're supposed to be doing it, that's important. And then, you know, an additional point is that we do see decreases in NPIs, but that, that, har that harm reduction strategy that I mentioned, we might be seeing people wear masks more frequently as they are not following other NPIs. And I think that that's something also to look at.
Right. We might think perhaps falsely that just because I'm wearing a mask that I can go to the mall and be amongst mm -hmm. a crowd of people. And that may or may not be true. Um, right. And now you developed, as you, as you pointed out, an index of all these NPIs where you kind of collated them into one index and it kind of encompassed physical distancing, masking, hand washing, and it give, gives people a quick way to measure adherence to these anti-COVID protective methods. So the index started at 70 out of 100, which is total adherence, back in April, dropped into the 50s in June, and then increased slightly to 60 by Thanksgiving. And so, as, as you noted, um, you were surprised that the rates weren't more sensitive to COVID surges. What does that say, that these rates didn't fluctuate based on the headlines of the public health advisors, but have actually become relatively stable, no matter what the national state of COVID-19 prevalence is? Right. We do have a risk measure in our analysis that accounts for some of that. And the risk measure does change over time a bit as COVID-19 cases change. But I think it's very telling that even though there's been a lot of continued investment and emphasis since April and a recognition that NPIs are what we have for a very long period here, we've hit a plateau. And what that suggests to me is, is a few things. Uh, for one, I think that it does reflect some amount of, of what our functional peak of NPIs is as far as disease control. And that when we talk about essential workers and restarting the economy, there may be a certain amount of NPI breakage that happens as we reopen society, as businesses are allowed to conduct business. You think about the restaurant industry and the entertainment industry, some things they do are just antithetical to NPIs. And in those situations, our focus has to be more on workplace redesign and risk reduction. But I think that it does say that really vaccines are so key right now. And having that accelerated rate of vaccination is what's gonna see us through to the end of this pandemic. And as we talk about new variants emerging, which might be more infectious, whether it's the UK variant or the South African variant, we may be at the point where NPIs are gonna do what they're gonna do. And that the continued investment we have may be better redirected towards vaccination and towards trying to eradicate the disease within our borders, rather than trying to improve social distancing at this stage of the pandemic even though NPIs will continue to be important for many months. Mm. So it helped us to you know, better direct our resources. As you said, there could be some, some breaks and breaches uh, in the NPI index there that are just kind of a matter of course. Uh, these, these data also provide more insight for public health professionals to create targeted messaging to change behaviors. And that's something that's uh, near and dear to our audience of healthcare marketers, many of whom are charged with, with doing just that. Can you elaborate on that point a bit? I think that um, it's important to understand that different behaviors all compose what we think of as pandemic fatigue, as this, this vague idea that we all kind of are, are having a hard time with the, the length of this pandemic, and that different behaviors are really suffering differently. Um, and we also know that this, so this is a difference that we see by geography. So different areas of the country may be facing different problems and that surveillance data is what will inform that, that messaging. I think that also the stability that we see that we just mentioned speaks towards the idea of harm reduction and risk reduction as we're talking about how to make sure that even when people make risky choices, they're making them as smart as they can. And you know, once again, with vaccination, I think that messaging to change behaviors is important and messaging towards these protective behaviors is very important. But I also think messaging that promotes vaccination is what's really the long-term solution uh, for attaining disease control within the United States. Yeah, it's interesting coming from someone who's researched the non-pharmaceutical intervention so much that you're kind of uh, not maybe conceding is not the best word, but saying maybe better for us to direct our resources toward the vaccination messaging at this point. 
Well, I think that NPIs are really important and NPIs are gonna be key to finishing this pandemic uh, within the United States, certainly. And, and even as we have vaccines rolling out, maintaining NPIs is gonna be key for disease control. That said, with whatever we, we are able to shut down and with whatever NPIs we're able to you know, promote at the state level, I think that we may be at the point where curbing transmission really does take vaccination. And so that's the, the bipartisan solution here. And that's where we have a lot of investment. And that's what the long-term solution is gonna be. As we're facing challenges in, in public health messaging, I think NPIs are important, but placing that emphasis on vaccination is, is really what's gonna finish this. Sure. And, and I mean, Johns Hopkins, in their messaging, I've seen them promote the need to keep wearing the masks and practicing social distancing, even for those who have gotten vaccinated, because I think there's, um, correct me if I'm wrong, one in 20 chance, uh, even if you've gotten both doses, that you could still uh, transmit the virus or, or be contagious. Right. I don't think the, the data hasn't panned out yet on, on what uh, asymptomatic carriage is once you've been vaccinated. But the vaccine efficacy there uh, depends on the definition also. But yeah, 95%. And again, that's after period of building immunity. So depending on your vaccine, that might be five or six weeks out from your first vaccine. So, you know, even once you're vaccinated, you're still not done with, with wearing a mask. And even after that five or six weeks, we don't know anything about asymptomatic carriage or like you said, vaccines do fail uh, from time to time. Right, right. Okay. Um, by the way, have you segmented the data by geography? We have. So we looked at in the paper based on the four census regions. So we have it by West, South, Northeast, and Midwest. We didn't parse it out as to what could be causing the difference, but we do see a significant decrease in the Midwest. I think that that's, that's very interesting, especially since it varies from the other ones. We thought that perhaps that could be because the virus surges that we saw in Midwest states were further on in the pandemic, and maybe that changed what non-pharmaceutical interventions became a habit for much of the pandemic. But I think that it's something that's worth thinking about more. And especially from a surveillance perspective, when we're thinking about where messaging needs to be tailored for individual states, for regions, that it might vary. And that that might have to do with political factors, might have to do with transmission factors. And it also might have to do with just the climate and what NPIs are more or less feasible at a certain time. Pockets of the country where there's more essential workers or, or less, and a lot, lot of factors there. As you pointed out so eloquently, pandemic fatigue is not just a vague idea, uh, but uh, different aspects of it suffer differently. And uh, you've quantified that very neatly here. So kudos to you and, and the research team here. Great. Thanks so much, Mark. And until the vaccines are widely distributed, these protective behaviors will, will be with us. Um, so it's good to get get more insight on this. Unfortunately, we're, we're out of time for the podcast. But Matt, I want to thank you for, for joining me today. This is really uh, fascinating. Thanks. It was great. Absolutely. And uh, if you like this conversation as much as I did, please uh, you know like us, please subscribe to the show, help others discover the podcast. And that'll do it for another episode of the MMNN podcast. We'll see you next time, everybody. Take care.